welcome back to episode two of History's Battlefields. In the last episode, we were just about to talk about um, revolving rifles. So let's start. Let's pick pick that back up. And um, what we are going to be talking about is the Colt 1855 revolving carbine or carbine. It was. It could be. It could be chambered in caliber 36, 44, and 56. The barrel length could vary between 15 inches, 18 inches, 21, and 24 inches. And um, so let's just let's just learn about a little bit about this um, revolving rifle. So it was a rare, a reasonably rare, rare weapon that was produced in 36, 44, and 56 inch caliber and in a barrel length of 15, 18, 21, and 24 inches. And uh, and only 4,435 were made during the during the war. And their manufacturing lasted from 1856 to 1864. And the and the 56 cal- caliber version had a five-shot cylinder instead of six, which is a little odd. Because most cylinders have are six shots, and the 36 and 44 were graced with six shots. This would have given the weapon a distinct advantage over a single-shot carbine, carbines or carbines of the day. Um, so, like I said about the the revolvers, it's the exact same how the revolver works. You put you put it to half cock. There's a lever under the barrel that you would pull down to shove the ramrod into the little pocket. So you put the powder and you put the ball in, you pull down the lever, it would pack it in. And but it just had a it had a rifle barrel and a rifle stock. It's really the only differences. And then you can't forget about the percussion caps. So that's a little bit about the revolving rifles or the Colt 1855. And uh, so there's another here it is the Savage Navy revolver and. When I say savage, I don't mean Indian savage. Um, this revolver was very, very unique. Um, how it would work like a normal cap and ball revolver, except for the fact it had the the trigger guard. There were technically two triggers, and one trigger was the one to fire the gun, and the other trigger was to pull the hammer back. So instead of you having to reach your thumb up and pull the hammer back, all you would do is it would be two triggers, and the one under the trigger to fire the gun, you would pull back to cock the hammer. And then you would be ready to shoot. So it would be like, click, bang, click, bang, instead of going click, click, bang, click, click, bang. So it would work like a normal um, cap and ball revolver. But it was the normal six-shot percussion revolver. It was, um, the origins were from Savage Revolving Firearms Company in Midtown, Connecticut. It was chambered in uh, 36, and the barrel length was normally 7 inches and 1 centimeter. So, um, I think that's about all there is to really know about the the rifle, the, sorry, the revolvers. So, let's, oh, here's, a, uh, sorry, this isn't really a revolver, it's more of a pistol. It is a lever action repeating pistol. Um, yeah, the volcan the volcanic pistols. Here we go. Um, the t- type 
the origin was Volcanic Repeating Arms Company, and the caliber varied from 31 to 41. The barrel length could be anywhere from 3.5 to 6 to 8 and to 16 inches. Um, uh, it was made by Smith & Wesson. So Smith & Wesson served as their connections with the Volcanic co Company in 1857, and it was um, restructured as the, as the New Haven Arms Company. So that's a that's a tad bit about the um, uh, producers, or yeah, the the, produ the producers of this pistol. And mind you, this isn't a revolver. This is a pistol. It was a lever action pistol, and I'm not. I'm trying to remember if it's um, if it used cartridges or not. I'm pretty sure it did not. I don't think it did. I'm pretty sure this was. Oh, wait, no. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure it did not. I'm pretty sure it used cartridges. I'm most likely 97% sure I used cartridges because um, it's basically like a Henry rifle but made into a, a pistol or a Winchester rifle, whatever you want to say. Um, so yeah, now we are done with the pistols and revolvers and let's get into, we already talked about the cavalry carbines. We don't want anything to do with them. Let's say we go into rifles and long arms. Huh? You guys want to learn about uh, rifles and long arms? So these, uh, these were like your normal, like Kentucky rifles, your long-barreled or long-range rifles, such as the Allen and the wheel lock, the Allen and wheel lock drop-back rifle. Um, Allen. E oh, that says Ethan Allen. Ethan Allen. Allen. Um, he was a gunsmith operating in in and around Worcester, Massachusetts, and who formed a number of companies through his working life during the period he traded as as Allen and Wheelock. He produced his neat single shot breech loader from around 1860 to 1871. Sorry. It used it uses a dropping breech lock, which moves down when the trigger guard is is lowered, ejecting the case and allowing and allowing a first round to be inserted. Some saw military service in, in the Civil War as privately produced. Produced, pro, I don't know what that is. Pro. Procured weapons. Sorry, now this is a, this is a, this is a, a, a cartridge rifle. So it's like your your normal bullet. You would pull down the the trigger guard, and then it would it would open up. You could put down the new cartridge, then you would put put it back to lock it into the uh, barrel, and then you would cock, and you'd be ready. Then there's the muskets, the famous famous muskets. Um, uh, so let's talk about the, the Brid, the Bridsburg muskets, yeah. So the specifications were about the type percussion rifle muskets, which is percussion, a way you could remember about percussion, percussion uses the caps, like the percussion caps, the same ones that the percussion revolvers that we talked about, and the same one as the revolving rifles, we talk, these percussion, percussion caps. So the origin was, um... Bridgeburg Machine Works in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it could be c 
caliber from anywhere from 58 to 64, and the bar barrel length was usually around 60, 40 inches. Sorry. Um, so um, at at the time of the outbreak of the Civil War, the the Bridgeburg Machine Works were well established and is and su very successful manufacturers of cotton and wool. Um, million million machines wool cotton and wool milling machines sorry the owners alfred jenks and his son barton m made a quick and very and very <sighs> sorry guys i'm not good at reading i don't know what that says a perceptive business decision and built a huge factory for for arms production. By 1860, the factory housed some 150 workers who were producing approximately around 5,000 U.S. government pattern muskets per month. So they were obviously helping the Union. Um. So um, at the end of the war, it had. It had manufactured just around 100,000 rifles for the Union government. Um, so that's a tad bit about the Bridesford muskets. And, uh, let's see here. Let's talk about, let's talk about the Fayetteville Confederate rifle, shall we? So, the type percussion, so we use the caps. The origin was um, Fayetteville Armory, Armory in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and it was calibered in 58, and the barrel length would normally be around 33 inches. And normally on the butt, there would be a little um, brass piece under it, and it would say CSA, standing for Confederate States of America. So the Fayetteville Confederate rifle, one of the most daring operations of the Civil War was the, was the Confederate raid on Harpers Ferry Armory. In, in April um, 1861, during which the raiders removed parts and parts and gun-making equipment before destroying this vital government production f facility. Cap captured components, tools, and equipment were removed to enable production of their um, Confederate uh, Fayetteville rifles. And uh, most of the most of the production at Fayetteville was based on the design of the model 1855 percussion rifle. And um, it it was probably it well, probably wasn't exactly similar, but it was probably as similar as the 1851 Confederate Colt and the 1851 Navy Colt. Probably like not a lot of differences. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of Confederate, some Confederacy, and a little fact about the Harper's Ferry model, the Mississippi rifles. Um, there would sometimes be a, a hidden compartment in the stock where you could hold some extra balls to sh for you to be able to for um, ammo or ammunition and you could ha hide some caps and maybe some powder in there um let's see here so, uh, um there's all yep and you can't forget about the fact that there were bayonets the bayonets were definitely used. They they would be put on the end of the rifle, and they would be um, 
locked on, and there would just be a like a, a spike sticking out on the of the end of your rifle, so you could charge. And oftentimes, sorry, um, often, oftentimes, what would happen is during the Civil War, during a battle, what they would do is they would fire, and because it took so long to reload, they would throw it, like just chuck it to get rid of it, and see if they could find a another musket or any type of weapon that was a gun that ha that has not been fired yet probably they would probably most likely take it off of a dead guy um and one cool thing is often um people who fought the both sides the Yankees and the C Confederates oftentimes they would bring the, their own rifles like sometimes um like you would see, like um, a Confederate who would have his own 1848 pocket pistol, or a Yankee who would have his own Remington 1858, which is kind of cool. Um, and you have to remember these were primitive. Like today, the U.S. government classifies them as primitive weapons, so you can buy them really easily. And for the and the fact that um uh you could buy them so easily now because the U.S. government doesn't classify them as a gun like this is what they were dealing with like it would take them around like 45 seconds just to reload unless you had like a, a revolver or a revolving rifle and like you can only imagine how hard or tough it could have been for them but um. We have now reached onto artillery, but I think we should save that for the next episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will see you next time.